Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me this evening to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Appreciated the series that Pastor Nathan did, and really on the life of Christ, giving us an overview, a synopsis of that. It was very helpful in bringing us to the Christmas season. And I want to just take this evening and, and bring us to this passage I think is very helpful for us. Recently I picked up a a book that has been on my shelf. I had read portions of it quite a while ago and the opening illustration really caught my attention. uh, The the author told of a, a married couple who was continually struggling in their relationships even though they had a great deal of Bible knowledge, they, they knew a lot of information, uh, they, they had good books on their shelves, they've been taught through the years, but he, he described it as they, they live in such a way as they walk around their house as if there's a giant hole in the middle of the living room. And everything they do is just living in such a way as to avoid that. They, they survive, but they don't really thrive. And as I thought about that, I thought, I wonder how often that is the case in our spiritual lives. We, we have information, but does it really apply to life? I mean, how many Christians live like that, struggling to get victory over sin, struggling in interpersonal relationships, f- consumed with fear that they will either displease God or somebody else, rather than knowing the true joy of the Lord? Understanding that life is not compartmentalized, that there's, there's not the secular compartment and a, a sacred compartment, but, but that our life really is interconnected. And so when problems come, sometimes we think, well, you know, that really wasn't my fault. It was because of this or that. Well, actually, when problems come, they reveal what's inside. You know, we, we, we understand that, that if you squeeze an orange, what comes out? You know, we, we get it. If you put a tea bag in hot water, what comes out is what was in that tea bag. And the same is true with us. If, if we get squeezed, when that pressure comes, what comes out is what's on the inside. When we end up in hot water, what comes out is really what is there, though often we're able to keep it hidden. And in this passage in in Galatians, we we find some truths that are going to be presented. The principle that we find in this passage that I I want us to consider this evening is that believers grow in Christlikeness by walking in the Spirit, and the the Holy Spirit counters the works of the flesh to cultivate godliness. That we would grow in a Christlike life. If you have your Bibles open, follow with me as I want to begin reading in verse 16. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, 
idolatry, sorcery, hatred and contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In these verses, we find this principle laid out that as we grow in Christ-likeness, it happens as the Holy Spirit is countering the works of the flesh. And our desire would be that we would be Spirit-led, Spirit-filled. The, the Holy Spirit counters the flesh to cultivate godliness. The, the book of Galatians is really the, the Magna Carta of spiritual liberty. It's the it was the battle cry of the Reformation that we are not under the law. But the problems then of liberty also need to be addressed. Now, now I realize to say the problems of liberty almost sounds contradictory. You know, how can liberty have a problem? How can that be a problem? You know, give me liberty or give me death. But the problem is when one fails to recognize the responsibilities that come with that freedom and the purpose of liberty. The emphasis in this, this letter, this epistle to the, the church at Galatia or the churches in Galatia is, is really an emphasis on grace and liberty as opposed to bondage. The liberty from guilt, from trying to earn God's favor, from, from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and recognizing this. That before salvation, that especially for a, a person who's trying to merit favor with God, the relationships were so much different. Not only with God, but with others, with self. And, and now with liberty, there's a difference. So in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, just above where we began reading, it says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another. And so we see a difference, a distinction that comes before salvation and after salvation in these various aspects. Our relationship with God, that, that before salvation to try to earn favor is frustrating. There's always that element of fear. Have I done enough? You know, if my good works will outweigh my bad works, well, have I done enough good works? How do I know? You know, what do I know is actually the standard? And there's always that uncertainty. Well, I hope so. After salvation, there's a security. We're accepted in the beloved. That the work is done, it's finished by Christ, that we are forgiven. And that brings a, a joy in that relationship. Our relationship to others changes. From being self-focused, from, from trying to solve conflicts in a way that please us, and then harboring bitterness to seeking to solve problems in a godly way, to love, to forgiveness. That our, our, our concern for others with before salvation that's often guarded, and we see that in our culture, that, that there are, even when there is motivation, it's often the wrong motives and with conditions. 
well, I'll do this if. Where after salvation, it's a response to God's grace. There's a genuine care for others. But we understand what, what God has done for us. And then concerning our own personal liberties. You know, that before salvation, there's really not a concern about how it impacts other people. They're my rights. I have a right to. Where after salvation, there's a very much a concern for others. So the very aspects, if we consider the Ten Commandments of the second half of those is how do I love others as myself? And recognizing the, the concern for others. So in verse 14, <clears throat> excuse me, as we read verse, or I brought your attention back to 13, verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you consume, be consumed by one another. That in these verses, that the goal of liberty is to be free to love one another properly. And that's what we saw in the Ten Commandments. So what I want us to see from this passage then in Galatians that we read earlier is first of all the promise of victory that's given. I say walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. The flesh lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. They're contrary to one another. So you can't do the things that you wish, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. How often do we face that in our life? The, the very first statement there, walk in the Spirit. The word walk is, is in the Greek text is what we call a present active imperative. What that means is it says we're to keep walking. This isn't once around the block and I did it. Oh, I already had my walk for today. No, this is the daily walk. I, I need to allow the Holy Spirit to direct, to guide. And the Spirit uses the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And so we can never say, well, I, I've, I've already done that. It's the ongoing part of our spiritual life. That when we're saved, the Holy Spirit indwells, and so we're to walk. So in our daily journey as believers, we have to depend upon the Holy Spirit for power and for guidance. You know, most of us have, are very familiar with that message that pops up on our phone or our iPad or some other device that says, low battery. And it usually doesn't happen at the best times. And I, I, I looked at my phone after church this morning and, and I was checking something and all of a sudden it popped up, low battery. And I was like, I don't have time for this. I got other things to do, so I, you know, I plugged it in in the car, but I wasn't, you know, we don't live far away. Uh, you know, one mile doesn't really charge my phone very well. And then we had to go someplace else, and that was about three miles. That didn't charge it. And so, you know, all day it was like, okay, you know, get enough and, you know, get just above that mark, and then all of a sudden, low battery. And so finally I was able to plug it in for a while, and it got charged up, and hopefully I won't see that again until later. But, you know, sometimes we spend more time making sure that our phones are charged than our spiritual life. Wouldn't it be nice if there were a way to say, you know, low spiritual battery? You know, I, I need more of that. Well, what we're going to see in this passage is there are some indicators of when we're running low. And, and verses 16 and following are going to tell us that when these things are starting to pop up, low battery. Because if we yield to the Spirit's control, He promises we will not gratify the flesh, the, the desires of the flesh. 
that the godly life is not lived under the rule of law, but it's rather lived by being led by the Spirit. And just as our salvation, our justification is not possible by works, so our sanctification is not achieved by mere human effort. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, this doesn't mean that we're passive. It's it's not just, well, I don't have anything to do with it then. No, we need to be plugged in to the Spirit. Philippians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 say that we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Now, that does not mean that we earn justification, that we are meriting salvation, our, our justification. The idea of salvation there is the whole spectrum of justification, sanctification, and ultimate glory of glorification. But it says in verse 13 that it is God who works in us both to will, to give us the desire, and to do it. So it's the work of the Spirit. This is the promise that if we walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. But there are some obstacles to this victory. That the promise is there of victory. The obstacles then are listed. And the works of the flesh, it says, beginning in verse 19, are evident, which are, and then there's a list of them. And the first category is of sexual sins. Adultery, fornication, that's sexual immorality, uncleanness, lewdness. The the immorality, porneia is the Greek word. We get pornography or pornographic from that. It's, it's all forms of illicit sexual relationships that, that, frankly, are rampant in our culture. The uncleanness, the impurity, the, it's a broad word that it deals with thought, word, deeds. It's not just the action, it's the attitude. I mean, again, our culture is, is saturated in this. The humor that is lewd would fall into that category of uncleanness or impurity. It's the opposite of holiness. It's, it's, it's the corruption that is so prevalent through the internet, through entertainment, that it, it's, and it is damaging. It is damning the souls of individuals. You know, one of my concerns for our children, our young people, our kids, our, our, both in our church and in our school, is protecting them. And, and, and sometimes it's frustrating because parents give them unfettered access to all sorts of corruption that is, it, and it, it's, it's dangerous and unwise. And I know sometimes it's, well, my child would never. Well, I, I think, number one, you're naive. I, I, I think that there's a naivete. But even if that were true, it's unwise. You know, would, would, we, would we say, well, my, my child is careful around traffic, Yeah, but I'm not going to let them play on the 101 or the 202. It's just not wise. And all that could do would be do physical damage. The corruption of our culture can do spiritual damage. And so we have to be careful. Proverbs 22, verse 3 says, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. And so we need to understand the the danger, the the lewdness, the sensualities that's mentioned here. The the King James uses the word lasciviousness. It's the shameless sensuality. You know, one of the 
the defenses against the world is that self-respect and sense of shame. And yet our, our culture, again, obliterates that, that. That in Paul's day, the sexual standard uh, were really in chaos, much like ours. And I'm sure as the churches in Galatia are reading this, they're thinking back. They know the open, reckless contempt for propriety, behavior that is in, unrestrained in its immorality. And again, our culture is that. So, so the first category says these are going to be obstacles to being victorious. The second category is religious sins. And those are laid out here in verse 20, the first part, uh, uh, idolatry, sorcery. You know, we read this, we read idolatry and say, well, I don't have to worry about that. We don't worship idols. You know, it's, it's not like what we saw in, you know, in, in Singapore this summer where they, they have these statues all over the place and they're, you, know, you can bow down to them and say, yeah, that's not us. But really, is it? I, idolatry is when I want something more than I want to obey Christ. When I'm going to pursue something that is more valuable and more important than He is, that's idolatry. It says in Romans chapter 1, verse 23, the, the sinful humanity changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, it says in verse 25, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. So what does that mean? It means idolatry is looking for substitutes to worshiping God. And it can be things, it can be people, but it, it's serving the creature rather than the Creator. It's finding pla pleasure and satisfaction or comfort and security, fulfillment and joy apart from the Lord. Seeking it in those areas that is idolatry. One of the books that, that I've used in, in a parenting class, Instructing a Child's Heart by Ted and Margie Tripp. It's an excellent book, but one of the sections that I really have appreciated is, is it lists possible idols for our children and for us. And some of them are combined, but I, I think they're the differentiation, the, the power or, or influence, the ability to control people and things, pride, how I'm viewed. You know, it could be position, family, abilities, what, you know, talents, whatever it might be, performance. It may be seeking praise. It may just be, I want to be able to accomplish this. And holding oneself to unrealistic views and goals and standards, but it's performance that's the idol. For some, it's possessions, it's stuff. I've got to have things. For others, it's pleasure, the excitement, the adrenaline rush. Maybe it's sensuality, and not, not merely in the sexual area, but, but just the physical sensory enjoyment that is pursued. The fear of man or the desire for approval. Well, what will people think? Rather than what does God think? Friendships, the peer pressure, or being in the know. Just always having to know the latest fads, the trends, and, and seeking to have that, that awareness of the culture and pop culture that is, becomes an idol. You know, for parents, there could be other idols. Comfort, respect, appreciation, success, control. And these aren't necessarily sin in and of themselves, but when they become more important than pleasing God, then it's a problem. The, the religious 
sins, the, the idolatry and sorcery, the, the word that's actually used there is one that, of using dr- drugs to cast spells. It would speak of the occult. These are barriers to victory. Interpersonal sins. The second part of verse 20 and going on, it, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder. Isn't it interesting that, that most of the sins that are listed in the works of the flesh fall into this category? How we relate to other people. Family, spouse, children, within a church, with co-workers. The, the frustration, the problems that arise. And if these are present in our interactions with others, then we need to realize that's an indication that our spiritual battery is low. We're not being controlled by the Spirit. So, well, no, it's, it's really not that. You have to understand, I was, you know, I was just tired. Now that, well, that's how our family has learned to respond. That's just how we do it. You know, it's in my heritage. No, it's in our flesh. Because if we walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Because we're, we're getting squeezed or we're being put in hot water. And that's what comes out. See, the, this is what we see in this passage, that if you bite and devour one another, verse 15, beware lest you be consumed by one another. That those interpersonal conflicts destroy unity and spiritual growth. And so understanding the importance of this, the, the, the last category that is mentioned here are the, the intemperance sins. And, and you see those then as well, the drunkenness, the revelries, the, the alcohol-related sins, the carousing. The, the idea, in, especially in that day, would have been the orgies that r- would refer to junk, drunken sexual perversions that were associated with the god of wine, Bacchus. That, that alcohol controls people, where Ephesians 5.18 tells believers to be controlled, be filled with the Spirit rather than be controlled by wine. And then understand as well that it, this is not the full list. Because it says, and the like, etc. The list goes on. But it gives us the categories. It gives us the areas that, while the list is not exhaustive, it's saying don't use your liberty, your Christian liberty, as an opportunity to feed your flesh. Because if we're not careful, we can do that. Well, show me a Bible verse that says I can't. So I have liberty. Does it feed our flesh? Walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. These are all characteristics of the unsaved because it says here then in verse 21 that those that practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It says those who this is their pattern, they're not saved. Now that doesn't mean that Christians can't struggle and stumble and we understand that. But it says that this, if this is the practice, if this is their life and it's not a problem, they're really not saved. And Paul addressed this in, to the church at Corinth as well. He said, and such were some of you. That's the negative side. That's, that's listing the obstacles. But the victory is available because there's the power for victory. And we see that beginning in verse 22, in verses 22 and 23, as it says, but the fruit of the Spirit. 
Isn't it interesting that it starts with that word? Why, why the word but? Why does it start that way? Because it's contrasting what previ- was previously mentioned. This is totally different. That Paul is given a whole list of the deeds of the flesh, the characteristics of people who don't know Jesus, which we see all around us in our world, and now he's reminding them, really, in one way, such were some of you, that's what he says to the church at Corinth. But he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. And the, the word fruit is singular. You know, we, we read this list and, and tend to think, well, there's multiple fruits here. No, it's, it's actually the, it, it's nine facets of the same jewel. And it's important to understand that because, you know, we can use the word fruit in, for either singular or plural. You know, you, I'm going to the fruit stand. I'm going to the fruit market. And I'll pick what I like and I'll leave what I don't like. We don't get to do that. The Greek is very clear. It's a singular word. You know, I, I don't get to walk into the produce section and say, well, well I like red delicious apples, but, you know, I'll, I'll pass on the Macintosh apples. I'll take a bowl of strawberries, but not blackberries. No, that's, that's not what's happening here. These nine characteristics are all facets of the same jewel. It's a, it's a package deal that is brought to us by the Holy Spirit. And, and I, I'm stressing this because we don't get to say, well, I'll, t- I'll take the one of being joyful, but gentleness just isn't my thing. No, you can't do that. If it's not your thing, then the Spirit needs to be working in that area because it is the Spirit's thing. This is the fruit of the Spirit. And change is possible. So we can't say, well, you know, the old adage, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That might be true for dogs and tricks. But it's not true, it's not the truth for the redeemed. Because he who has begun a good work in us is going to continue to perform it until it's complete in Jesus Christ. And so then we have the the aspects of the Spirit's fruit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And and we see different categories here as well. There's the habits of the mind. Love, joy, peace. Are those your testimony this evening? Are you at peace? Are you joyful? Or is there an inner turmoil raging? Is there there a, a genuine biblical love? We're not talking just an emotion. We're talking a giving love that hopes all things, believes all things, is kind, is gentle. That's a characteristic of love in 1 Corinthians 13. There are the the attitudes and actions towards others, patience, kindness, goodness. And again, we're we're seeing these being laid out here. And then, then there's some just general conduct, faithfulness, gentleness, or meekness. Self-control, that, that self-mastery, being able to control our tongue, curb our words, is, is controlling our flesh, and it's the work of the Spirit. And we can own, these things can really only be attained in the power of the Spirit. And so we, we see these, these aspects being laid out here. And then the, the fourth thing that we, we see is the path to victory. And, and that's really laid out in this passage. Now, let me clarify, just as I'm, I'm going, kind of giving us the quick overview of this. 
But understanding the gift of the Spirit is our salvation. That when we are saved, the Holy Spirit, you know, that is the work of the Spirit to place us into the body of Christ. And when we are saved, Romans chapter 8 says that we receive the Holy Spirit. So it's not I get saved and get the Spirit later. No, it actually says in Romans 8, if you do not have the Spirit, then, then you are none of His. So understanding that. But the gifts of the Spirit then are the the gifts for serving within the the church. And that as we're saved, we are saved to serve. So ministers every member, as we say here at Tri-City. And what we're considering here are the graces of the Spirit. The godly or Christ-like character that the Spirit develops in those who have been born again, regenerated, that, that gift of the Spirit, of salvation, and is working in us. So, so what is the path to victory? Well, walk in the Spirit. That we are daily seeking to be in step, to, to understand that. Then in, in verse 18, to be led by the Spirit. To allow the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit uses the Word of God. This is the Spirit's sword. And then to, verse 25 says, live in the Spirit. So as we look through this passage, that we we understand we live in the Spirit, so also walk in the Spirit as it brings that around again, to to keep in step. And so we're we're asking, okay, does this please God? According to God's Word, as, as we're in God's Word on a daily basis, as we're reading, saying, okay, Lord, where do I need to change and grow? And asking the Lord to guide and direct. And if these works of the flesh start popping up to realize, you know, that's low battery. I need to be praying. I need to be meditating upon God's Word. And, and recognizing what the Spirit is developing within us. These are, these are delightful characteristics. And I also think it's interesting that, that God uses fruit to speak of things of which he delights. And we read in in Proverbs and elsewhere that that person is the apple of his eye. And using that picture, the, the, the children are the fruit of the womb and are his reward. And the emphasis on the fruit trees in the Garden of Eden and, and seeing that, that it speaks of delight and so when we talk about being led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, we're not talking about some, some subjective mysticism. James 1 verse 5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, ask God. And He gives generously. And so really what, it, what we're speaking of is that we're going to our power source that we have. We're in the Word of God. It is the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God, and it's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, Hebrews 4 tells us. It pierces into the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's a discerner of our thoughts and our intentions. You know, sometimes it's easy to say, well, I did the right thing. Yeah, but what were our intentions? You can have the right position with the wrong disposition. And we want both to honor the Lord because of the the practical aspects of this. And understanding when when we're plugged into that power source 
and not seeing those low battery marks, that it, the, it, it's going to, we're going to see the Holy Spirit leading us in right decisions, in interpersonal aspects, in moral issues. And Spirit-led people then are people who are maturing. There's a stability that comes. That when we're led by the Spirit, if we're going to have a consistency that is noted of those who are maturing in, in Ephesians 4.14 where it says, no longer children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, the trickery of men, the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. No, there, there's a stability that comes. So, so how does this apply to where we're living daily? Say, at the moment of choice, I can be sure that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is working against the desires of the flesh. You know, sometimes in our battle with the flesh, we say, well, I can't do this, I shouldn't do this. Understand on the positive side, at that very moment, the Holy Spirit is at work. The Holy Spirit is prompting us at that moment of choice to counter the works of the flesh. We tend to view sin and temptation in relationship to ourselves not in the relationship to our Holy, the Holy Spirit that we're resisting. Don't resist the Spirit. But that we would yield to the Spirit, walk by the, in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live in the Spirit. That means we're yielding to the Spirit rather than to the flesh. And the truth is, I think it's easy to place too much confidence in our ability. The arm of flesh will fail you. That none of us is powerful enough, strong enough in our own strength to overcome the flesh. But if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And then we are to yield obedience to the convictions and promptings of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, that we don't resist that. That we yield, that we surrender, that we strive to grow and develop that walk of victory and spiritual maturity. And when this happens, there is going to be that evidence of it. You know, I was thinking years, years ago, I, I knew two ladies when I was growing up. Uh, one was a lady in our, our church. We, we called her Aunt Annie. I, I don't even know what her, I don't remember her last name. I probably heard it at some point. But she was just Aunt Annie to everybody. And she was a wonderful lady. Uh, she made the most amazing sugar cookies. And she didn't live real far from us, and I would go visit her from time to time, and she always had sugar cookies available. And, and, but she was just a sweet lady. There was another lady that mo lived just down the street from us, um, just Mrs. M. I'll, I'll just use the initial. And, and so I, I knew both of them when I was a boy. I, I actually mowed both of their lawns. Uh, they were both widows. I never knew their husbands. Um, Aunt Annie was a godly lady. She was active in our church. She was sweet. Uh, always had a wonderful attitude. Mrs. M um, was a neighbor, but she was a pretty rough lady. And I, you know, I had interactions with her. I would go down. She was nice to me, and, but it, she was a rough woman. Both of these women ended up in the same nursing care facility. And it was a place that our youth group would go once a month and do a, a, a service. And so I, I knew they were there and, and got to see, see them. Um, and both of them ended up losing some of their mental capacity. They really were not. They didn't recognize people. They didn't know what was going on. But what was interesting was that even in their diminished capacity, Aunt Annie was still a joy to be around. She was pleasant. 
She was kind to the help. She would have a Bible open beside her, her bed. Mrs. M was mean, demanding. Even the nursing staff avoided her whenever they could. Now, now please, I, I understand that with mental deterioration, it affects personality, it affects demeanor. There are a lot of other things that come into play. Um, pain can alter one's emotions and spirit. So I'm not trying to draw medical conclusions here. But what I am... What, no, what stood out to me was I had known both of these ladies before and they just became more of what they were. And when the, when the gar, Im, mental and emotional guardrails were down, the, the, the speed bumps removed, what was there just kept coming out. And Aunt Annie, even without realizing, was demonstrating a life of walking in the Spirit. So are we growing in that? What is our character? We may have the guardrails when, that we can control some of that, but when the pressure comes, when we get squeezed or we're put into hot water, let's not excuse what comes out, but say, Lord, how do I change and grow for your glory? Because being like Christ is so important that he's going to put us under pressure. He's going to put us in hot water to reveal how we can become like his son. Are we growing in Christ-likeness? Believers grow in Christ-likeness by walking in the Spirit as He counters the works of the flesh and cultivates godliness and Christ-likeness. How are we doing in our spiritual walk tonight? Let's pray together.